All right, well, why don't you go ahead and turn to Luke uh, chapter 23 and hold your place at verse 32. Uh, We're going to read verses 32 through 46 uh, here in just a few minutes. Uh, I have acknowledged many times here, uh, those of you who have been a part of the church for a while may remember this, that um, it seems that most of my favorite movies are extremely violent movies. And... uh, uh, one of my all-time favorite movies is Braveheart. Okay, they're tired of hearing about it. Is uh, is Braveheart starring Mel Gibson? And many of you, probably most of you, know that the movie tells the story of William Wallace, who was a a Scottish noble who was one of the leaders of the wars of Scottish independence in the 13th and 14th uh, centuries. And most of you are probably familiar with uh, the film. And in my opinion, it is. Uh, one of the best films, and it has one of the greatest endings of any movie that I have ever seen. Uh, Wallace is captured by the English, and he's brought to London. He is tried, and he's sentenced uh, to death. And, and it's, you know, not, not just a simple death. He is going to be tortured before he's put to death. And so as he's being tortured before his execution... Uh, If I remember correctly, it is in an effort to get him to uh, recant his rebellion uh, against King Edward. Uh, They they are torturing him, and they they give him an opportunity. Uh, He he indicates that he wants to speak, and so they give him this opportunity to speak uh, because they they think that the torture has resulted in him being willing to recant his rebellion and pledge his allegiance to Edward. And so the crowd grows quiet. All the eyes that are witnessing the the, uh, execution are fastened on Wallace. Uh, Everyone is straining to hear what he's going to say, listening closely for what he's going to say. And and instead of recanting, he he cries out with his final word, the final word that he is ever going to speak. He cries out, what is it? Freedom. Freedom. I I imagined trying to... uh, cry out freedom like he did, but it just wasn't going to look right, so I, I decided not to. <laughs> so so he, he cries out freedom, and then you know the story. He is executed. He fought for freedom, and with his dying word, he proclaims what he gave his life fighting for, uh, freedom. Great movie, great line. Now, I didn't check this out this week. I didn't verify it, but I believe it's true that Wallace actually cries freedom a lot throughout that movie. I think every time they go into battle, he cries out freedom. And yet, it is that dying cry that really stands out, that that we really remember the most. And that's because dying words have great importance. They carry great importance. And they make a great impact on the people that hear them. I would guess that most of us remember and cherish uh, the dying words of a family member or a friend. We, We may have talked to them for literally hours on end throughout their lives. And yet there is something about those dying words that just rise above the rest and really have a way of impacting us. And today, as we come to this 23rd chapter of the book of Luke, verses 32 through 46, uh, it tells us about the crucifixion and death of Jesus Christ. This event has been written about for the past 2,000 years. 
It has been talked about for the past 2,000 years, and yet we have never exhausted what can, should, needs to be said about this uh, amazing event, about the death of Jesus Christ. Such sacrificial love is so amazing that we never cease to wonder at it. We, we never cease to be amazed, to reflect on it, to, to celebrate it, to be humbled by it, to try time and time again to explain it, and yet we never are able to really do it justice. What I want to focus our attention on today are the dying words of Jesus. As he is being crucified, as he is dying for the sins of the world, dying for your sins, dying for my sins, Luke records for us three things that Jesus says. But before we look at the three things that he says, I want us to properly understand the context within which Jesus speaks these words. Understand that when he came to the place to be crucified, the cross that he was going to be crucified on would have been laid flat on the ground. He would have had his arms stretched out wide on the crossbar, and it was usual, it was the, the normal practice, that the nails would have been driven through his wrist, uh, affixing him to the cross. There is some debate about how the feet would have been attached to the cross, but there is evidence to suggest that the legs may have been bent and twisted to the side and then a single nail driven through the backs of both heels into the cross. Such a contortion of the body would have added to the agony that Jesus would have experienced as he died for our sins. Once fastened, the cross would have been lifted up and set in its place and and Jesus would have hung there being mocked uh, by the crowd around him. Crucifixion was a slow and painful death. It is said that the terror of crucifixion wasn't just that the pain was so awful, though it was, but the terror was that though the pain was awful, it was not enough to kill. And so the crucified person was left to die of hunger and thirst beneath the blazing sun of the day or the frost of the nighttime. And while it was not ultimately the case with Jesus, many crucified criminals would have hung up on a cross for as much as a week, eventually dying, uh, just, just being raving mad. This is the situation that Jesus is in as we come to the words that we're going to read. He is in excruciating pain. He is being mocked. He, he is in unbelievable physical torment as he speaks his dying words. I've called today's message, Jesus Speaks from the Cross. Here's what verses 32 through 46 say. If you have your Bible, why don't you follow along as I read? Two other men, both criminals, were also let out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
there was written a notice above him which reads, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. So within these verses, we find these three statements that Jesus speaks from the cross. The first uh, is this, found in verse 34, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Remember the context that we just talked about. Jesus has been unjustly condemned to death. Pilate, in a pathetic act of cowardice, has refused to overrule the mob. Jesus has been uh, repeatedly beaten mercilessly. The flesh ripped from his back by 39 lashes with a whip that was interwoven with shards of metal and glass. He had been stripped and made fun of. He had been beaten over the head with a, with a rod. He had a mocking crown that was made of thorns that had been pressed down over his head. He was nailed to the cross, as we talked about, hands and feet, bleeding, battered, in excruciating pain. He looks at the people who are carrying out these savage acts against him, and he prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. From the cross, Jesus speaks of forgiveness. From the cross, Jesus cries out to God to forgive those who are killing him. Dying words are important. Dying words are impactful words. Dying words make a lasting impression, and these dying words of Jesus should make a lasting impression upon us. This is the response of Jesus to those who were killing him. We say we follow Jesus. We say we want to be more and more like him. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to become more and more like him, we need to become people who can look at those who are sinning against us and cry out to God, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. It seems a tall task for us. It, it really seems too much to ask. And on our own, it is. But the evidence from Scripture is that if we will allow the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to go to work in our lives, to, to transform our minds, to transform our hearts, then this task is not too tall for us. In Acts 7, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, is being murdered. He's, he's having stones thrown at him, uh, large stones hitting him 
uh, on his head. And, and he's just about to die. And, and he models the prayer of his Savior and prays this, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Allow yourself to really reflect on that, to really think deeply about asking for the forgiveness of someone who is in the act of taking your life. From the cross, Jesus speaks of forgiveness. He, he models forgiveness. And implicit in his statement is a call for all of us who call him Lord to follow after him in this way. To, to become people who pray to God for the good of those who sin against them. And so, I just ask you to think about who do you need to forgive? Who, who is it that that is sinning against you that, that you need to forgive? Is it the co-worker who mocked your faith in Christ this week? Is it the boss who makes you late for your family dinner too many nights out of the week? Is it the family member who gossiped about you at the family reunion that you weren't able to attend? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to pray for? Who do you need to call out to God to be merciful to? The person who tells you that you're foolish to believe in God? The person who tells you that the Bible is just full of fairy tales? They're always trying to, to drag you down and discourage your faith? The friend who says they're a Christian, but they're constantly distorting the clear teaching of Scripture and taking us, others along in their misguided path, on their misguided path? The person who cheated you out of money, and though you're angry with them, you, you have to acknowledge that really they're just doing this because they're so far from Jesus. They, they need Jesus. The husband who keeps injuring you with his words. The wife who keeps holding a bad financial decision over your head. Who do you need to pray for calling out for God to be merciful to them even though they are in some way doing wrong to you? From the cross, Jesus calls us to forgive. He calls us to care about sinful people that he loves enough to do what he did. To appeal to God on their behalf, even if they're wronging us. I don't know about you, but I will make an admission here today. I find it very easy to become righteously indignant about things. I won't ask for a show of hands, but, but I, I think this is a common problem that we have. But then here's a worse confession. I find it very difficult to care enough about people to realize how desperately they need Jesus and to pray to God on their behalf for forgiveness when they are wronging me. I don't think I'm alone in that. There is a place for righteous anger. But it is always right for us to see, them, to, to see people who see themselves as our enemies, even treat us as enemies. It is always right for us to see them, first and foremost, as people who are desperately in need of God's grace and to appeal to God on their behalf. That is always the right response. That is how much Jesus loved the world. And that's how much he wants us to love the world. 
And so this week, my, my appeal, my challenge to you would be to share the heart of Jesus, to forgive as you've been forgiven, to appeal to God for mercy on behalf of someone who is far from him, even if that person is doing wrong by you, even if that person is mistreating you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, friends, we can do this even if we think it's too much for us to do. The second statement Jesus makes from the cross is found in verse 43. He says to the the, uh, criminal hanging there by him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. From the cross, Jesus speaks of salvation. It has always seemed appropriate to me that at the exact moment that Jesus is dying for the sins of the entire world, he, he shows us exactly how great, how far-reaching His mercy and grace really are. Consider this thief. Uh, I, I keep calling him a thief. I, I think he's actually just identified as a criminal here in Luke, uh, but he's identified as a thief elsewhere. But consider this criminal that asked Jesus to remember him when he comes into his kingdom. He says of himself that he has been condemned justly. He deserves to die. He, he knows this. He, he is not uh, saying he, he's been railroaded in, in his trial. He, he's not saying that the findings of the, uh, uh, of the court were wrong. He knows he deserves to die. Consider this. Not only does he deserve to die, he is just about to die. And here's the key with that. The important thing is he is never going to do anything for the kingdom of God. Nothing. He will do nothing for Jesus. He's not going to tell anybody about Jesus. He's not going on a missionary journey with the Apostle Paul. He's not going to teach a Sunday school class. He's never going to give an offering. He's never going to serve a widow. He's never going to ease the suffering of a leper. He's not going to be baptized. He's not going to exercise a spiritual gift. He will never make restitution to the victims of his crimes. He will be of no use at all to the kingdom of God. And yet, for simply asking to be remembered, Jesus says to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. And we learn a number of things from this here, at least three things that we learn. First of all, it is never too late to turn to Christ. It's never too late. If you've had a loved one that refused the grace of God their entire lives, came to their time of death and slipped into eternity, here's what I can assure you. Just as he was with this criminal on the cross up to the last moment of their lives, God was trying to reach them. And all it would have taken would have been for them to finally see and embrace the truth and cry out however they could in that moment, Jesus, remember me. I came to this great uh, poem this week, found this great poem. It's written about a man who... Uh, was killed as he was thrown from his galloping horse. Uh, 
And it has great truth in it. Here's what it says. Betwixt the stirrup and the ground, mercy I asked, mercy I found. Betwixt the stirrup and the ground, mercy I asked, mercy I found. It's never too late. In a moment, in a moment, a person can turn. After a lifetime of rejection, in an instant, they can say yes. And God's grace rushes in. You may have a wife or a husband or a parent or a child who's consistently refused the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. You worry, you're fearful for them, but be encouraged that God is seeking after them and he is never going to stop. They may have rejected him for years, but it is not too late for them. As long as there is life, it is never too late to turn to Jesus. Maybe you're the one who's been refusing Christ year after year after year. Maybe recently you've been thinking that you wanted to turn to Jesus, but a a voice in your head keeps telling you that you've rejected him too many times. You've done too many things wrong. You've resisted his spirit too much. You've sinned too greatly. Christ's response to this criminal who calls out to him lets us know, and it lets you know that it is never too late to turn to Jesus. And so if you haven't, I appeal to you to do so today. It is not too late, and you have not done too much to come to Christ. We also learn that salvation is entirely by grace. It's not by works. Not not by what we can do, not by our own merit. Again, this criminal was never going to do anything for Jesus. No good works for him, not a single one. And yet Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Friend, you have to give up. All of us have to give up this idea that we can earn our way with God. We cannot You are not good enough to merit salvation. I am not good enough to merit salvation. We cannot be good enough. And so we have to give up this false idea and simply receive God's grace. But here's another false idea that we have to give up. Not only can you you not merit God's grace, but your lack of merit can't keep you from God's grace. You can't earn it. But you can't mess up so bad that you can't get it. Isn't that wonderful news? If it's not, we don't realize how bad we've messed up. We've messed up really bad. Excuse my mildly provocative language. Jesus is communicating to a world full of screw-ups... Your screw-ups can't keep you from salvation. Your screw-ups cannot keep you from my grace. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how many times you've promised to stop and haven't, you can still receive God's grace at the foot of the cross. And then we learn that salvation is received Through faith. It is by grace, God's unmerited favor. It is through faith. 
but by turning and asking Jesus to remember him. The, the criminal is acknowledging in those words that he knows who Jesus is and that he recognizes Jesus is his only hope. And it's really as simple as that. Believe what the scriptures say about Jesus. He's the Savior. Recognize that you need him to save you and cry out to him. It really is no more complicated than that. That's faith. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will be. You got that? Will be. Will be saved. How? By simply calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus, I know who you are. Jesus, I need to be saved. Jesus, remember me. Save me. Have mercy on me. You can say it a bunch of different ways. It means the same thing. I know I need you. Help me. Save me. Remember me. Call on the Lord and you will be saved. We've called this entire series Radical Love. This, my friends, is radical love. It's never too late to turn to Jesus. Radical love. Though we deserve death, he offers us salvation, completely unmerited, provided through the sacrificial death of Jesus. All we have to do is believe him and call out to him. Why? Because of God's radical love for us. Because of God's radical love for you. From the cross, Jesus speaks of forgiveness. From the cross, Jesus speaks of salvation. And from the cross, Jesus speaks of trust. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think it's important for us to understand at this point that not only was Jesus truly God, but Jesus was, is, truly man. This is a 33-year-old man dying on this cross. As such, he experienced all of the emotions that any one of us would experience going through that kind of trauma. He experienced them all. He was truly one of us. We see this in the Garden of Eden before his crucifixion as he prays if it might be possible for this cup of suffering to pass from him, to, to be taken away from him. And but then he prays, but Father, not my will, but yours be done. People often say that they aren't afraid to die. They're just worried about what they have to go through on the way to death. Jesus, truly human, is experiencing an excruciating death. The horror that he is going through can't be overstated. Being truly human, this presents Jesus with the same challenges it would present anyone. And in the midst of this horror, this 33-year-old man says, Father, into your hands... 
I commit my spirit. From the cross, in unspeakable pain, Jesus speaks of trusting God the Father. He speaks of trust. I know that many of you are like me. You battle with fear. You just have all kinds of fears. Jesus is showing us from the cross that even when the worst that can happen to us does, and we come to our time of death, we can know that we are in God's hands, and in the worst circumstance, we can still trust God. No matter what you're facing today, Jesus' words from the cross and his example from the cross Show us and encourage us that there is never a situation that we cannot trust God in the midst of. Never. Many of you have been in very low points throughout your life, and you have experienced God's care for you in those moments, and you can testify that this is true. Friend, you really can trust Jesus no matter your circumstance. He tells us this, and he models this from the cross. These words that Jesus speaks here, uh, just before he breathes his last, into your hands I commit my spirit, are, are the exact words that are found in the 31st Psalm. And they are the words that William Barclay tells us, every Jewish mother taught her child to say the last thing at night. It, it is much like you may have been taught as a child or much like, you're all turning to Psalm 31. It's much like, uh, I promise it's true. Uh, it, it is much like uh, you may have been taught as a child or you may be teaching uh, your children now this little nighttime prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. It, it's the same prayer. And then after we pray that prayer, what usually happens is that we climb into a nice warm bed and we drift off to a comfortable sleep. Jesus is showing us that when the circumstances are not comfortable, when there is no warm bed, even when death is certain, we can trust God. We can know that we are in his hands, that we are in his loving care. The Apostle Paul wrote about this very eloquently in Romans 8.38. He wrote, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. From the cross, Jesus speaks. Not only does he speak, but he proves that we can trust God no matter our circumstances. Some of you are in really difficult circumstances today. And I believe that through the Holy Spirit, God wants to make this a reality for you. He wants you to begin to see today that this really is true. 
These aren't just nice words that we read about and we, we make a big deal about, but they don't really work in real life. No, they work in real life. Jesus was fully human. They work in real life. And he wants you to see that they'll work in your life. That you really can trust him. And so as we consider the words of Jesus spoken from the cross, as we consider the example of Jesus today, may every single one of us here allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives and lead us to the place where we can forgive when we are wronged and appeal to God to be gracious to those who sin against us. May we trust in Christ alone for our salvation, giving up this false notion that we can merit God's approval and giving up this other false notion that our lack of merit can keep us from God's grace. And may we fully entrust ourselves to God, no matter our circumstances. In the name of Jesus, may it be so. Why don't you stand?